Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, John Briggs, Global Head of Desk Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another Bondcast. Um, another week central bank focused, I suppose. We've had, um, we're recording this on Thursday, so we've had the Fed overnight um, and the Bank of England next week and another couple of big week purchase weeks from the ECB. So lots to talk about with regard to our views. Um, John, given that we're recording this straight after the Fed, um, I'll come straight to you because um, well, there's a few things I think we need to discuss in the US. So first of all, perhaps you can just um, give us a quick download on on what actually happened with the Fed last night. I know it wasn't super exciting, but just to um, kind of take stock of, of what they said and, and what that means going forward. Yeah, thanks, Imogen. Um, like you said, not much happening, fairly boring meeting. You know, the, the media was certainly trying to get Powell to take the bait on any sort of tapering conversations, but that's really not something that uh, we think the Fed's going to address until probably um, third quarter or into the fall. I mean, just for for the record, we have the Fed tapering in the first quarter of 22. And, you know, given his tone about you know, much more progress is going to be needed, we haven't hit substantial progress yet. You know, I think that I feel like that backs it up. But um, the Fed is also an institution that very much wants any announcement to be completely understood by the market and create no market reaction on it. That's a holdover from Bernanke's 2013 taper tantrum incident. So um, we expect them to start discussing that well in advance, probably, you know, September for Q1 22 taper. Uh, but importantly, that means, you know, for us, we need to consider it now and what that means as we head into the summer, because markets are always then again ahead of the Fed. So even though the Fed was relatively boring and he certainly was dovish, you know, we had equity markets reacting positively. We had yields falling slightly uh, once he went through his press conference. We think that discussion as we head into um, the tapering discussion over the next few months and, you know, normally I would say it would just be a couple months ahead, but um, and I know you're going to get to Theo, but what we see from the Bank of England next week really could accentuate the conversation, even for the Fed, even though Powell was dovish and pushed off the tapering talk. Um, you know, that has made us want to actually reinitiate shorts uh, in, in the U.S. Treasury market. Now, this is a little different than when we came in the year. When we came in the year, we were looking for bear steepening on reflation theme and higher inflation expectations and supply issues. This is a little bit more focused on the belly of the curve, as we don't think the Fed's going to you know, either raise rates in the near term or the market's going to price in Fed raising rates in the near term. So that keeps the very front end of the curve immune. But as we start to head towards this taper discussion, natural next step is, OK, well, if they start tapering in the first quarter of next year, would they finish taper? And what does that mean for rate hikes? So pricing in more rate hikes down the road should pressure that belly of the curve. So instead of being short, further out and being bear steepeners like we were early in the year. Now we're short in the five-year note. We initiated that at 80 basis points. It's already started to move as we head in towards next week, in my opinion, um, with the Bank of England. And we're short five years on the fly. So it's very much the, uh, kind of a short belly or you know, paying two-year, two-year, like just those, those forward rates that could incorporate some additional Fed pricing because we feel like even, again, we're not, we don't see a Fed hike until 24. But we also think the market can start to price in some, some probability that it does hike before that. 
which mean, and then even if we don't get those rate hikes in the future, it's just going to keep rolling that probability forward, which is a dynamic we saw in 2013 and also in 2017. So, okay, so I, I guess, well, you've answered my next question a little bit, but perhaps just to clear it up, because we put, we initiated these shorts pre the fad. So was Powell kind of slightly more dovish than you expected yesterday? Does that change how you were thinking about these um, shorts in the kind of belly of the curve? Or is it like you say, all about the fact that yes, they're not tapering right now, but they are going to the Bank of England might give us signals in that direction. And we want to be ahead of that move when it comes. Yeah, I mean, Powell being dovish in the near term isn't really surprising event. So, you know, that didn't dissuade us from having this negativity uh, on, on the market. And I will say we're not, you know, pounding the table bears. We do think the yields are going to move higher, but we don't see a Q1 type event. It's more of an evolution rather than a revolution in rates here. But, um, you know, we had a period where yields had fallen there was consolidation. And, and, you know, as you, Imogen, have noted, there's been some foreign money, foreign real money, given the attractiveness to, say, a Japanese investor, but even to European investors hedged. Um, for U.S. Treasuries, U.S. domestic real money, you've seen high amounts of stripping and long P's. We've seen that flow. So, you know, there's been a lot of inflows that took yields lower. And so it was a combination of entry point and just trying to look ahead to that medium term. You know, when does that tapering discussion kind of start to pick up? I personally think that the you know, Bank of Canada last week started to taper, Bank of England next week. Um, and then as we, I think that there's a chance to have that come sooner rather than later. So I'm willing to kind of accept Powell's dovishness in the near term, because I think the upside in yields is greater, especially given the rally we've had. And I want to be in these trades in case it comes earlier than many other people think. Well, it certainly seems like that's the right trade to be in today, at least anyway. <laughs> and I, I also really like that line, ev evolution, not revolution. I'm going to steal yeah. that. <laughs> you might hear it in future podcasts. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So that leads us nicely, I guess, into um, the UK side and, and Theo with you, because, you know, we've had the ECB on the Fed now. Um, and so, you know, of, for us on this podcast, the, the last major central bank that we'll be looking forward to is the Bank of England next week. So talk to us about um, what you're expecting there. I think we've we've had some big moves higher in, in um, kind of global <laughs> rates over the last couple of days. And I think part of that in the UK, at least, is a tapering led move um so what are you thinking is this the meeting that we do get a signal that they're going to cut back on on the pace of purchases or is it still too early like with the fad well in the uk definitely we're thinking about thinking about bringing those purchases close to zero so uh tapering should be expected uh, it will be an evolution, not a revolutionary evolution, but it will be a simple evolution in the process. What does it mean for us is that the pace, which has been at 4.44 billion a week, will probably decrease to 3.6 billion a week. Is this high? It is significant. At the peak of the crisis, we have seen purchases at 13.5 billion a week. So definitely any purchases that we, we've seen lately uh, were at a much slower pace. Well, what does it mean for the curve? I think it's, it's, it's very interesting. There are some obvious views, some obvious traits, and we caution against those. A lot of guys wanted to play that through steepeners, through back and curve steepeners, for example. So this has been a very popular trade. And this week we've seen that this has failed pretty much. So we've seen that the curve has flattened actually in a bearish move. And we think that this continues. Why that? 
clearly the consensus is for the steepeners and it is difficult to materialize. At the same time, we have real money and we have pretty much investors who look at the back end of the curve and look at those juicy yields and they want to use them as an opportunity to buy. We have a 10-year sector, which has loads of room to sell off. You compare UK yields to, for example, what has happened to US yields and UK yields, well, still are fairly uh, low. We, we don't have any disinflation problem. We have a central bank that uh, will be willing to signal any, uh, to signal tightening. And if you think about it, so it's not, and it, it is not so much about tapering itself, you know, it is about the opportunities that come with tapering. So one is obviously to be bearish 10 years and we've increased our conviction in the short 10 year position. So we did that on uh, Tuesday this week. But at the same time, we find opportunities at the front end of the curve. It's a different story, but it's it's really, to me, much more interesting what you can do at the front end of the curve. And so with that increased conviction in the 10-year point of the curve, is that still with a yield target of 1%? Have you nudged that up? Um, and if not, you know, we're only, um, well, at, at this moment we're only about 15 basis points away from that target and with the kind of moves we've seen over the last few days that doesn't feel like it's actually that far away you know by the time we record this next week potentially we will have reached that target so what are you I know you know things can change but what are you thinking about when we get to one percent now that you have this higher conviction will you be extending that target beyond one percent or do you think that one percent is probably fair value for now? I think this, this is a fantastic question. So one lesson that I've learned through all those years in financial markets is that we can never count our chicken before they hatch. So in this case, it means that we really need to first touch this 1%. Um, I think that the market is is has got a propensity to swing to the extremes, to swing to the very dovish or the very uh, hawkish side. As things stand right now, we have four-year, one-year Sonia at 0.93. This would mean that in five years' time, actually, you know, in four years' time, but effective for that part, the four to five year, we have bank rate at 1%. So this is already quite significant, and we have already significant tightening in the price. So this is, this is to me, the, the, the interesting part. Now, can it be that those expectations of hikes are being moved forward? Absolutely. And this is why we think that uh, there is a case probably for the Bank of England to move those, those hikes forward. But about the terminal level, which ultimately is what this defines where longer term rates go, uh, we, we don't think that this can be substantially higher. So it may be the term as, as low as 1%, for example, uh, in that world, do you want to own yields, 10-year guilt yields at 1%? Probably yes, because still you may want to have, you know, a premium for the scarcity of the asset class. And you, you, it's still, it is an asset that uh, gives you a fairly decent uh, risk of, uh, you know, performance. Now, in, in terms of the numbers and in terms of the focus, and now I go back to your to, 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 to explain your question at the beginning, which is, why did we not push? Why did we not extend the target? I think it is really because it's it will get, the more the, the bearish view becomes consensus, the more difficult it is to get indeed that move to realize. So we've started with 0 0.75, um, that was in February. And then in March, when we extended that to 1%, we extended that at the lower risk. 
and we've waited patiently for an opportunity, basically. And then what happened was yields went up and then yields went down, yields went lower than when we extended that. And then we thought this week, well, it is an opportunity to pretty much increase the risk in that bearish conviction. But I think we need to really see how things um, how things pan out, because even though yields are going up and we are on the bearish camp, I am on the bearish camp, my trades are bearish. Um, I think that there will be a moment, and we may not be too far from that moment, when we reach pretty much a peak in uh, rates. Yeah, it certainly feels like we, we might not be that far away, with, well, certainly with the moves that we've had yesterday and today. So just the final thing I wanted to check with you, Theo, because I know it feels like a long time ago, but actually, since we recorded Bondcast last week, the other development aside from the kind of tapering discussion and looking forward to the Bank of England next week was the uh, publication of the guilt remit. Um, and of course, that came with um, lower uh, forecast guilt supply that, than we were expecting. So can you just perhaps give us a quick one minute download on how you marry that kind of lower than expected guilt supply with your uh, still very bearish view, I suppose? Absolutely. I think 43.3 billion of guilds will uh, less will be issued in the uh, financial year. This is a significant reduction. Um, clearly, this is this this matters. This will affect net DVO one from August and onwards. So this is something that, for the time being, is uh, is, is 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 not so. Actually, from July and August and onwards. So this is something that uh, is not a matter for the market and the market is not concerned. At the same time, we've seen more conviction in the market that there will be a QE tapering. And if you have a reduction in supply and a reduction in QE, this net-net, if it is by the same amount, this net-net is actually bearish for rates because the duration that is absorbed by QE or the, you know, the bonds that are absorbed by QE are longer-dated bonds relative to what are issued. So net-net, this is on the, you know, on the bearish side. So I think that if we combine that, well, we've got still a case where, yeah, one should still be a bearish race, but we are cautious simply because, you know, it may be that this reduction in QE happens at a later stage. And it can be that, um, you know, the Bank of England just uh, do not taper. And this is why we don't want to have steamers at the back end of the curve, right? Because then what happens? And this is a factor that we need definitely to consider. So indeed, significant reduction, but also issuance um, uh, is a significant reduction in purchase, but also we have a significant reduction in issuance. So net-net, I think that we are at a point where, you know, we might be consolidating. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you very much, Theo. So turning to you then, Giles, because uh, like I said, we've now outright initiated shorts in, in treasuries. We've been um, outright bearish guilt for a very long time. It feels like Europe's maybe the last piece of that puzzle. We've been talking for many weeks on this podcast now about how, um, you know, we were, we were more sort of waiting for the right moment to turn short again. Um, the ECB didn't really bring that about last week, but actually this week we've um, had, well, better than expected, I suppose, inflation data. We've had certainly better than expected, uh, you know, confidence in the euro area. Um, are we now at that point, you know, as we're talking, booms are through, 
uh, minus 20, I think. Are they still? Yeah, minus 20, um, which feels like quite a significant level. So are we now at that point where we think this is the right time to be bearish or are there other things that, that we're still kind of watching and waiting for? Yeah, I mean, okay, listen, when we when we went bullish after the ECB in March, I mean, you know, it seemed like the right thing to, 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 to do. And I mean, you know, we kind of went sideways. That The bearish trend has resumed. I mean, it's quite clear now if you just look at the charts since the beginning of April. And, you know, I mean, I guess maybe you could argue that we were just trying to be too clever, sort of you know, trying to, you know, balance the way that the flows look versus you know the fundamental picture that was much more clearly negative for, for rates and I, know, I think that the answer that we're coming to is that yes it probably is to be honest with you I mean I think that the, the global environment is ter terrifically important it's um, you know, at least as important as what the ECB is doing I, mean, I would say and as you've mentioned the you know we've just had a raft of pretty convincing data and so that, that on the inflation side and the activity side, the confidence side, that all, that all seems to be coming back as we as we expected it would, right? But um, yeah, we we needed the confirmation there. So you know, I think that we can see this in in the price action you know, breakout on a, on on a bunch of charts. Not that we have to put too much weight on on that kind of thing, but you know, I mean, there is a psychological value to that, which. You know, shouldn't completely just brush under the carpet. So, you know, I think that the answer uh, is probably yes. And, you know, I think that, you know, although we never really took our, our eyes off the, the target for the end of the year in, in Bruns, as I say, you know, this has been a, a little bit of a difficult period um, to, to navigate because of the surge purchases uh, from, the, from the ECB. Um, but, you know, as you've heard from, from both, uh, John and and Theo, you know, we have to sort of get ahead a little bit of the of the market. We haven't you know, haven't done that this month. Um, you know, a few basis points the, the the wrong way, but I think that this can accelerate. So, all that we've heard as well from ECB speakers over the last couple of days has been very economy bullish. I would say, you know, even Lane today, um, you know, traditionally quite dovish, has has come out and said that they see quite a strong rebound from from the summer in the second half of this year. So I guess putting that together with what you've been saying about now, you know, starting to think much more seriously about this being the right time to be bearish, um, does that mean that you expect this significantly higher purchase pace to be stepped down kind of as soon as we get to the end of this quarter? Yeah, I do. And th no, that's really absolutely crucial, I think, to, to the view. At the moment, and you know what we were hearing you know, as just as, as recently as last week was that the market seemed sort of fairly evenly split about whether there would be a step down or not um, in June. And now we we definitely were of the view that the fundamentals would justify a reduction in QE purchase the QE purchase place, and you know, we're very much still of that view after this week's data. And I mean. You know, you look very carefully at the vaccine rollout figures and I mean we haven't got away from that really being uh, I suppose the the number one underlying driving force here and that all looks pretty positive still I mean you know, we talked quite a lot about you know, the you know, the projections which 
I mean, whether this is obvious to to listeners or to to everyone or not, I don't, you know, I, I doubt to be honest with you. But they they do point very clearly to this uh, this this target of seventy percent of adults being vaccinated by early summer. Um, you know, maybe sort of June for for one, July for for, for both doses. You know, that looks absolutely feasible um, and likely, I would say. You know, so I don't think that we really need to be too concerned about this confidence just draining away again. You know, I think that this is the turn. Yeah, I completely agree on, well, obviously on the vaccine front. Um, I guess we're looking at the same data, so <laughs> that's unsurprising. Um, um, the only other thing I, I was going to um, ask you about, I suppose, is that this kind of flows argument that we've had for being for turning near term more bullish um, was driven on the one hand by the ECB, but on the other hand by the fact that net supply steps down in, in quite a big way or usually steps down in quite a big way in April and, and in Q2, I guess, in general. Do we still see lower supply in May or do we think that now we're going to have to see a bit of a pickup, particularly with kind of revised um, uh, deficits, say from Italy, for example, and, and other countries that are now having to, to spend more than they originally planned to say back in November, December, given this kind of extension of, of restrictions um, and the third wave that, that was probably worse than initially expected at the turn of the year. Well, as you know, we're running the numbers, and you know, it, it, it does look like there was a fairly substantial step down in, in, in April, which to a certain extent will be carried through to, to this month, uh, no, as I sorry, to next month rather, to in, in, into May, but may not be quite as, um, as uh, sustained as, as we thought. And so it, it's definitely pushing a little bit more in a bearish direction, and as you say, there has been quite a bit of slippage in public finances, which to some extent will add to, uh, to, to funding pressures, not necessarily just in May, but over the remainder of the year. And I think it's right to, to start to, to factor all of that in. Of course, corporate supply will also start picking up you know, probably you know, not as early as next week, but um, from the week after that. And that's also something which needs to be taken into, into account. So, you know, all told, I suppose, you know, as you get closer to the, the step back down on the ECB purchase uh, side, then you know, these are all things that you know, need to start taking a little bit more seriously. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, it sounds like we are hibernating bears no more than at NetWest Markets. Um, thank you all for joining me this week, and we'll catch up again next week just after the Bank of England. So, um, Theo, I'll be looking forward to hearing all of your thoughts on that next week. Oh, yes, it's going to be exciting. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.